Good morning and a happy Father's Day to all the dads and the father figures in our lives. I'm guessing that for a lot of you dads, today is going to be a day where you fire up the grill. And uh, it's hard to explain. There's a uh, grilling is like a, a rite of passage in becoming a dad. There, there's not a book you read, there's no training or manual or a class or anything like that, but it's like when you become a father, you're automatically endowed with the gift of being the grill master. It just, it comes with the territory. And uh, you find yourself doing a, a lot of weird things. Like you're going through the grocery store and you've got your eye on different cuts of meat and what's on sale. And for Father's Day, you're asking for things like grilling utensils and different rubs and spices and things that beforehand you would have never asked for, but now it's just, it's part of who you are. It's part of what you do. And so, for all of you dads, today I hope that you get to enjoy a good meal. Maybe it's some burgers or chicken or pork. For me, nothing tops a perfectly grilled steak. And have you ever noticed that you don't need to dress up a good steak? You really don't. You don't need a bunch of marinades and sauces. In fact, I was reading an article by restaurant chef Lindsay Madison, and she shared six professional secrets for cooking a perfect thick-cut steak. And the number one secret was to salt the steak, preferably overnight. Simple, that's it, salt the steak. Because when the salt gets into the meat, the flavor explodes. This summer, we're in a series called Summer on the Mount, looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, where Jesus proclaims that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. These powerful metaphors challenge us to consider our impact as followers of Christ in a world that so desperately needs the transformative power of the gospel. Today I want us to explore what Jesus means by salt and light and discover how we can live as effective witnesses for Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. Before we get too deep into these two metaphors, we need to remember that this passage we just read follows the Beatitudes that we studied last week. And what Jesus makes clear in these verses is that the values of the kingdom, the Beatitudes, you remember? The poor in spirit, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, these Beatitudes cannot be lived out in isolation. These are not private values. When we live out the Beatitudes, we will attract attention and impact the world. So let's look at these metaphors that Jesus uses here. 
Salt and light were common substances in the ancient world, and Jesus brilliantly uses these everyday objects to illustrate our mission as followers of Christ. So let's unpack their significance. What's it mean to be salt and light? Jesus begins by calling us the salt of the earth. In ancient times, salt had two primary functions, preservation and enhancement. First, salt preserves. Salt preserved food from spoiling and decaying. And this was especially important in a time without refrigeration. Salt would extend the amount of time that food could be eaten. It extended a food's usefulness. And in the same way, the gospel preserves and prevents our world from falling in moral decay. And our lives ought to exemplify godliness and righteousness. It ought to counter the corrupting influences of sin. Jesus calls us to be a preserving force in a decaying world, pointing people towards the redemptive power of Christ. Second, salt enhances flavor. Now, this we all know. We've all experienced this before. If you've ever gotten a meal and you've got food on your plate and you take a bite and it's bland, what do you do? You grab some salt and and you sprinkle it on there and it adds flavor to your meal. And in the same way that salt adds taste, you and I should enhance the experience of others. We ought to bring out the best in our world. We ought to add value. We ought to make a positive impact wherever we go through the power of the gospel. The words that we say, the things that we do, the attitudes that we have should be seasoned with grace, love, and truth. And when we do this, we attract others to the beauty of the gospel. We draw them closer to Jesus. Paul writes in Colossians 4, verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Next, Jesus continues, you are the light of the world. Light illuminates. Light illuminates the darkness. It serves as a guide. It brings clarity. It reveals truth. As followers of Christ, we are called to reflect His light. And when we do this, we bring clarity to confusion. We expose falsehood. We illuminate the path for others, helping them find their way to God's truth and love in the person of Jesus. And so our lives should be beacons of hope. Our lives ought to be living testimonies, pointing others to the source of eternal life. 143 years ago, light shined in the darkness in Wabash, Indiana. The Brush Light Company installed four 3,000 candle power lamps, suspending them from the flagstaff on the Wabash County Courthouse. At 8 p.m. on March 31st, 1880, more than 10,000 people witnessed the event as arc lights from the courthouse spread light throughout the surrounding area. A report states that light was visible as far as a mile away from the courthouse square. News of this event spread regionally and nationally. 
The Chicago Tribune wrote that Wabash enjoys the distinction of being the first city in the whole world to be lighted by electricity. On that night, Wabash was literally a city on a hill that could not be hidden. One journalist wrote of the experience of that night. They said, the people stood almost breathless, overwhelmed with awe, as if in the presence of the supernatural. The strange, weird light, exceeded only in power by the sun, rendered the square as light as midday. Men fell on their knees, groans were uttered at the sight, and many were dumb with amazement. It drove the darkness back and out of the entire city of Wabash so that now the people could see to read on nearly all of the city streets by night. When I read that last sentence this week, I couldn't get it out of my head. It it struck me. It drove the darkness back and out of the entire city of Wabash so that now the people could see. That is the power of light. And the light that Jesus calls us to shine is not to drive out physical darkness, but to drive out spiritual darkness. And how do we do that? In a word, influence. I want to talk about the incredible power of influence that Jesus highlights in these verses. He says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. When we live out our faith authentically, people take notice. Our actions, our attitudes, our choices have the potential to impact others in profound ways. We influence authentically. We influence by walking the talk. To be effective as salt and light, we must walk the talk. Our faith should be lived out consistently and authentically. People are drawn to authenticity. We think that people are are, are drawn to, you know, polished up versions of ourselves. We think that we need to project this idealized version of ourselves. But but the truth is, when, when we live authentically and people see that our lives reflect the character of Christ, you know what happens? People become curious. They become open to the message that we carry. They begin to want to know, you're real, you're genuine, tell me about it. We also influence relationally. We influence one life at a time, one day at a time, one life at a time. Jesus reminds us that our influence begins with the people closest to us. He says, let your light shine before others. It's in our everyday interactions with our families, the people that we work with, as we interact with people in our community, it's there that we have the greatest opportunity to impact lives. And this is so near and dear to us as as we share a 10-year vision that we are a church of 1,200 growing deep and wide that is leveraging our influence to have a daily impact for Christ in our community and beyond. We want to leverage that influence. We want to have a, a daily impact. And by showing love and grace and kindness, we create an environment where the light of Christ can shine brightly. And here's what happens. A salty church shining brightly changes the world. A salty church shining brightly changes the world. 
You don't believe me? It happened 2,000 years ago with the first church. Read the book of Acts. There was a man named Saul who was a persecutor of Christians. His life is radically changed by an encounter with Jesus, and then he goes on to become a missionary. And he travels throughout the Mediterranean region, sharing the gospel of Jesus, being salt and light, planting churches, making disciples. And here's what Luke writes about his movements in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, verse 6, it says, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. And this is what the authorities shouted. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. The the radical gospel of Jesus Christ turned the world upside down. And it can happen again. Now, being salt and light doesn't come without its challenges. And Jesus acknowledges this, and he gives us some valuable insights on how to overcome obstacles that may hinder our influence. First, Jesus warns us that salt can lose its saltiness. And when salt loses its saltiness, it becomes ineffective. So how's that happen in our lives? We become ineffective when we become complacent. We become ineffective when we compromise our convictions. So it's imperative that we stay rooted in God's Word, that we are people of prayer, that that we continually seek out His guidance and His strength to stay true to our calling. Jesus then cautions us against hiding our light under a bowl. Say, how do we hide our light? Well, we do that anytime we face the temptation to keep our faith private, to keep it only to ourselves. And that happens when we fear being rejected. We fear that that people won't respond favorably. We we fear being persecuted. We feel being insulted or, or, or marginalized for our faith. But Jesus encourages us to let our light shine boldly, not allowing fear to dim its radiance. And when we step out in faith, God equips us and he empowers us to impact the world around us. Jesus says that unsalty salt and hidden light is good for nothing. Unsalty salt and hidden light is without purpose. It's useless. It isn't good for anything. There was a dad who was explaining to his three-year-old son, Harrison, about how much Jesus loves him. And so, he asked his son if he knew where Jesus lived. And he assumed that Harrison would say, well, Jesus lives in my heart, or Jesus lives in heaven. But Harrison thought about it for a moment, and he said, Jesus lives in the basement. That's where we store our nativity scene. And for a lot of us, that's what we do with our light. We hide it in the basement. We've kept it hidden under a bull. It's in storage somewhere. But Jesus tells us to shine our light brightly for all to see. In order for salt to be effective, it must be rubbed into the meat. For light to shine, it has to be uncovered. And what that means for us is we can't impact society from a distance. We can't hide in the comfort of our holy huddles. We have to go into culture in order to impact the culture. 
G.K. Chesterton said, we do not want a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. Listen, we don't become like the culture. We, We don't reflect the culture. We impact the culture not by blending in with it, but by living distinctly from it. Salt is needed because the world is rotting and decaying, and if our faith is rotting and decaying, it won't be any good. Light is needed because our world is in darkness, and if our faith imitates the darkness, then we have nothing to show the world. To be effective, we must seek and display the distinctiveness of Christianity. We must live out the upside-down values of the kingdom, the Beatitudes that we studied last week. We can never affect the world for Jesus by becoming like the world. Now, some of you may be saying, I I can't be salt and light. I mean, have you seen the world that we live in? Have you you seen our culture? It's evil, it's wicked, it's going to hell. I got to stay as far away from that as I can. That's the exact reason why our world needs salt and light. Church, shake it up, shine it bright. Be salt and light day and night. Being salt and light, these aren't menu options. It's not like Jesus is giving us a choice. Jesus never challenged us to become salt and light. He says that's what we are. And so we're either filling or failing that responsibility as members of his kingdom. So what's it look like to live out this calling? It's one thing to understand these metaphors, but it's another thing to live out our calling as salt and light. So I want to share with you a few practical steps we can take to unleash the power of salt and light in our lives. First, embrace your identity. First and foremost, embrace your identity as a follower of Christ. Understand that you have been called and chosen by God to be salt and light. Allow this truth to shape your mindset, knowing that you have a unique purpose and mission in this world. God didn't post a a job opening for interested applicants. He's called you to represent Him. So put aside any fear, any doubt that you might have, and embrace the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. Second, engage with intentionality. We must intentionally engage with the world around us. We're not called to retreat from our culture. We're not called to become like our culture. We are to intentionally engage our culture. And that means it's important that we seek to understand the worldview and the struggles of the people around us. Do you know what people in your community struggle with? Do you know what people in our community, do you know what their fears are? Do you know what they're feeling. If you don't know where they are, then it's going to be hard for you to know how to share the gospel with them. You need to know what those barriers, what those obstacles are so that you can share the gospel that will be able to penetrate their heart. Look for opportunities to bring flavor and preservation to the lives of others. Show kindness, extend grace, offer a listening ear, a helping hand, and a voice of hope. And don't be shocked when non-Christians act like non-Christians. Why would we expect anything differently? Instead of of, of condemnation, let's build bridges of empathy and compassion. When we genuinely care for people, 
when we meet people where they are, we can demonstrate the love and grace of Christ. As we engage in our community, as we engage at work, as we engage in the relationships that God has blessed us with, be intentional about illuminating the path for others, helping them find hope and truth. Third, shine brightly. Just as a lamp is meant to be seen, we are called to shine brightly for all to see. We do this by living lives that are distinct from the culture around us. Our actions and our attitudes should reflect the values of God's kingdom. And when people see the light of Christ radiating from us, they'll be drawn to its beauty and they'll desire to know the source of that hope. And so I want to ask you, where's your light shining? Is your light hidden under a bowl? Is your light shining on yourself? Or is your light shining on Christ? Because I think a real temptation that we face is to, to do good deeds and to do good works in order to get the attention of other people, to get the approval of other people. And, and yet we mask it as humility, right? But deep down, it, it feels good. We, we like it when, when we get that approval. So if you're struggle with, struggling with knowing, am, am I doing it, am I shining the light on Christ, or if I'm shining the light on myself, ask yourself this. When people leave your presence, are they praising you or are they praising God? When people walk away, are they saying, man, Jason, he's awesome? Or are they saying, wow, what a Savior? One of my favorite verses in Scripture is John 1, verse 37. John the Baptist is, is, is pointing to Jesus, the Messiah, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, and it says in John 1.37 that they heard John and they followed Jesus. They heard John and they followed Jesus. May that be true of you and me. That they see our light and it's shining on Christ and it points them to Jesus. Four, Show humility and grace. While we strive to be salt and light, it's crucial to remember that our effectiveness, it doesn't stem from our own abilities or achievements. It is the grace of God working through us that brings true transformation. So we must approach others with humility, knowing that we too are sinners saved by grace. Let us extend grace and love to those who may not yet know Christ, just as we have received His grace and love. Remember, the job of salt is to make something taste good. Now, I don't know about you, but when, when it gets summertime like this, one of my absolute favorite foods is corn on the cob. I, I, I love it. But I can't stand corn on the cob without salt. I can't. It's got to have it. Now, when I've eaten a piece of corn on the cob that tastes great, do, do I put it down and do I say, wow, that was great salt? No. What do I do? I say, that was great corn on the cob. Because the job of salt is not to make you think how great the salt is, but how great the thing is with which it's involved. So what's it look like if you're salt in your small group Bible study? If you're Saul in your small group, people aren't going to walk away saying, wow, that person knows a lot about the Bible. Wow, that, that person has all the answers, showed me up. No, 
What happens is when you leave a small group in which you've been salt, people don't leave saying how great you were. They leave saying, wow, that's a great group. Man, that's, that's such incredible community. Well, what, what fascinating truth we discovered. This is pretty simple. Salt makes you feel better about life. Christians make you feel better. But religious people always make you feel condemned. They make you feel worse. Show humility and grace. Point people to Jesus. Fifth, be a catalyst for change. Don't underestimate the power of your influence. You have the ability to be a catalyst for change. It's not going to happen all at once. It's not going to happen overnight. Start small. Start small by making a difference in your immediate sphere of influence. Be a source of encouragement, love, and support. Your actions may seem insignificant, but they have the potential to create a ripple effect that can transform lives. It's so easy to gripe and complain about our culture. It's, it's so easy to say that the world is falling, everything's falling apart, look at the direction that, that everything's going. And so we, we, can, we can lament the state of something like our, our school systems, right? Everybody's talking about how, you know, the direction that school systems are heading and, and, and just kind of nationally, they're, they're, there's fear. We, we can lament that or, or we can be the change we want to see. We can become a kid's hope mentor and say, I'm going to make the difference in one kid's life. I may not have the answer for everything, but I can make the difference in one kid's life. We can talk about how, you know, this, this next generation, you know, they don't have the same values. You know, we, we've lost that generation. We can gripe about it, we can complain about it, or we can serve in our children's ministry. We can serve in our student ministry. We can commit to, to being a catalyst for change. Six, seek God's guidance. Finally, seek God's guidance in every step of the way. Stay connected with Him through prayer, through reading His Word, by surrounding yourself with a community of believers who can encourage you and support you on this journey. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide you and empower you to be salt and light. A few years ago, it was a Saturday morning, and our church was having a community service day, and I was walking down the sidewalk on a street in Mansfield, Texas, heading towards a house that our small group was working at. There were a group of 15 to 20 of us, and we were all wearing matching red t-shirts. And a city employee was explaining to us as we huddled together that the resident of this house had some health challenges, some setbacks that uh, didn't allow them to work on the house, maintain the house, and because of that, the house had really just, had just been uh, unmaintained for a long time. The house was out of code, it was close to being condemned, and so, you know, grass was two or three feet high, debris all over the place. And so we got together and uh, we split into different teams. A few of us uh, did some mowing. A few other people did some weed eating. Uh, a few people hauled debris off to a dumpster. 
there was a big tree that had fallen down, and so a couple people had some chainsaws cutting up this tree. We had people landscaping and painting. There was this whole crew that was helping transform this house. And during a water break, I made my way to uh, the front driveway, and all the noise from the mowers and the chainsaws and the weed eaters had caused a bit of commotion, and neighbors had started coming out of their houses and trying to see what was going on. And this one lady came, came up to me, and she asked who we were and what we were doing. And I simply replied that we were part of a church, and we wanted to be a blessing to our community and serve someone who could use the help. And it started a conversation where we were chatting about the this neighborhood transformation that had taken place by our simple acts of kindness. And as I'm talking with this woman, her husband had been mowing in his front yard, and he saw my red volunteer t-shirt, and so he turned the mower off, and he walked over, and I'll never forget it. He walked over to me, and he had the smile on his face. He just kind of nodded his head as he looked at the work that we were doing, and he said these words. He said, I love your heart where can I get a heart like yours? And I was stunned. I was, I was taken aback. I said, we, we got our hearts from Jesus, and he would be glad to give you his. And we continued talking for a little bit longer, and we talked about the unmatched gospel of Jesus Christ and how he has the power to transform hearts and to transform homes and communities. He has the power to transform the world. Jesus said, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds. And what happens? They will glorify your Father in heaven. Church, this is what we mean when we say that we are for Wabash and beyond. We are a people, we are a church that wants to shine the light of Jesus, that wants to be the salt of the earth in this community. We want to see the gospel of Jesus permeate hearts and change this community with the gospel. And so as we wrap up today, I want you to remember that Jesus has called us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. This is not just some optional add-on. This isn't an occasional role. This is who we are meant to be every single day. They are not mere metaphors. They're a call to action. The world desperately needs the preserving influence of the gospel and the illuminating power of Christ's light. So embrace your identity. Engage with intentionality. Shine brightly. Show humility and grace. Be a catalyst for change. And seek God's guidance. Together, let's unleash the power of salt and light, transforming our community and our world with God's love and truth. And what if a journalist were to say of the church in Wabash, well, what if this was said, not of, of lights on a courthouse, but what if this was said of the church? It, the church, it drove out the darkness and out of the entire city of Wabash so that now the people could see, so that now people could see Jesus. That's my hope, and that's my dream. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this identity that you have given to us of being salt and light. 
We thank you for the richness of, of these metaphors that, that, that give us clarity on what you have called us to be in this world. And God, I pray that we would be a preserving and enhancing influence in this community. I pray that we would shine your light brightly, not on ourselves, but that we would point others to Jesus. Lord, we can't save anybody. That's your work. And it all happens because of what Jesus did. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And he went to the cross for our sins. He died. He was buried. And three days later, you rose. You raised him from the dead. And now as your followers, we are ambassadors for Christ. And God, I pray that we would shine brightly in our community that we would understand that each and every one of us has a sphere of influence. We have people that you have called us to be salt and light to. So I pray that we would not run from that. I pray that, that we would not lose our saltiness. I pray that we would not hide our lights. God, I pray that we would go into our culture, that we would impact our culture, that we would live distinct lives and show people who you really are so that their life can be changed for all of eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.